Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be here with you again on YouTube and Facebook for our online Sunday gathering. Today, we're going to continue with our Sermon on the Mount series where we're going through Jesus's central teaching. This collection of passages that we have from Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7 really constitutes the heart of Jesus's entire message. As Christians, we should be primarily concerned with understanding who Jesus was, what he taught, and why he did what we did. And so we have decided during this season in our church life to really dig into the core teachings of Jesus found in these three chapters. Now, last week we talked about Jesus's words about anger and how anger becomes a signal for us that we can pay attention to because it too easily becomes some form of violence, whether that is through insults or outright contempt, which dehumanizes people and then gives us a place for justifying causing harm to others. This is why Jesus connects his teaching on anger with the commandment, thou shalt not murder. Well, today, Jesus is going to move past the issue of anger, and he's going to jump into another hot-button issue. This time, it has to do with sex. We're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about this. But first, I want to invite you, as always, just to join with me for a moment to center our hearts and minds together as we jump into this passage. Would you just join with me to pray? God, we thank you again for today, for this time and space that we have to approach this text these teaching passages that uh, come together to form the heart of Jesus's message. We pray that as we read through these words together and we begin to unpack them, that our hearts would be open uh, to the kinds of changes that you are drawing us into. We ask that you would make us people who are more like the Jesus that we read about in these gospels. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage today, like I said, is Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 27 all the way through verse 31. Now, Jesus continues this kind of formula that he started in our last passage when he began to speak on anger, when he said, you have heard that it was said in ancient times, thou shalt not murder, but I say to you this, this becomes a familiar pattern as we enter into the next two things he talks about which have to do with adultery and divorce. So let's take a look at it together. Let's read both of these sections together. And then I want to share with you uh, what I'm noticing in these passages and then invite you to share with each other what you might be noticing too. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 27, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, last week, we talked about how Jesus uses this imagery of hell, which, of course, is a reference to the Valley of Gehenna, this place where historically ancient Israel mixed with the pagan practices of their neighbors and actually committed human sacrifices by sacrificing children 
to the ancient god of Molech. And that became this reprehensible practice that the prophets in the Hebrew Bible harshly rebuke. So we know that at some point in Israel's history that there was a mixing and mingling with this horrific practice of human sacrifice. That's probably why animal sacrifice was introduced as a progression away from this horrific practice. Well, of course, this imagery in their past, this ancient imagery of these these child sacrifices in the Valley of Gehenna becomes a kind of idiom for ancient Israel. It becomes an image of judgment. And so every time Jesus refers to hell, what he's really referring to is this historic place, this Valley of Gehenna, where the prophets say that if we continue to, uh, to, to oppress and treat poorly and treat unjustly those who are weaker than us, then we will suffer the same fate that ironically has been prescribed against those who commit child sacrifices. And so Jesus is using this this ancient judgment of the ancient Israel prophets to apply to the people that he's speaking to. So there's a kind of irony there in this particular use of the word hell. He's saying, if you continue to exhibit this behavior, then you'll be subject to the same judgment that you have assigned to those pagan nations around you. So that's why Jesus is conjuring up these images of Gehenna. He wants them to know that even if they, the children of God, do not follow the law of God, that they will be subject to the same fate that they have assigned to those who are pagan, those who are Gentiles. So Jesus is challenging the very identity that they have as children of God by saying that if they don't do what's right in God's eyes, then they're subject to that same judgment. And here, Jesus is applying that judgment to a whole new subject. Last week, he talked about anger. He said that anger was the first step towards committing murder. Jesus wasn't saying that when you get angry that you have actually committed murder. He was unpacking the very real human psychological reality that our anger becomes a way for us to begin to move towards dehumanizing others. And that if we don't learn to pay attention to our anger, to watch that as a warning sign, then we may very well go down the road towards insults and outright contempt and the kind of dehumanization that allows us to justify killing other people. Well, Jesus does the same thing here with lust. He's saying, you have heard that it was said that shalt not commit adultery, which is, of course, to have sexual relations with another person's wife. But he says, if you have lusted after that person in your heart, then that is already the first step towards you committing adultery. So Jesus does the same thing here with sexual desire that he did with anger. Jesus is saying that if we don't want to commit adultery, if we don't want to harm somebody sexually, then we have to pay attention to how our desires are signaling that we might be headed in that direction. Jesus does something really fascinating with this. He says that the remedy for this, that the prescription for having this kind of desire that might lead you to harm somebody else, 
is that you should do whatever it takes to not follow up on that desire. Now, what's fascinating about this is that in religious traditions, we tend to do exactly the opposite. In religious traditions, if a man has lustful thoughts for a woman, we have a tendency to blame the woman, not the man. In other words, we make women responsible for men's lust. We make women responsible for men's desires. We make women's bodies responsible for men's bad behavior. We blame women for wearing the wrong kinds of clothes. We blame women for wearing too much makeup or we blame women for adorning themselves and you know making themselves too desirable for the men around them who apparently can't control themselves. And then when men do behave badly, when they do act out on their sexual desires in a way that harms those women, we blame women for it. Well, Jesus responds exactly the opposite. Jesus doesn't blame women for men's sexual desires. He says, men, you are responsible for controlling your own desires. If you can't control your own desires, then it would be better for you to cut your member off than to fall prey to harming another person sexually. This is radically different than what we tend to see in sort of fundamentalist or legalistic religious settings. Jesus is saying that I am responsible for the sexual harm that I might do to another person, and that I ought to be willing to take radical measures to keep myself from harming somebody else sexually. Now, just like last week, I said that this was incredibly relevant in our day and time. Last week, you might remember I said about anger that we live in an age of anger. We live in an age when everybody is furious about something. Well, likewise, I think we are also living in an age of sexual violence. Nobody who turns on the news or opens the internet or looks at their Facebook feed can fail to see that we are a society that has a problem with sexual violence. You don't even have to look at stories about Harvey Weinstein to see it. All you have to do uh, is open up your social media app and follow the hashtag MeToo uh, signal, and you will discover that this is a pervasive problem in our world, that certain people, usually women, have been subject to sexual violence, usually at the hands of men, over and over and over again. Sexual violence is a real problem in our society, but in churches and in religious traditions, we tend to focus instead on whether or not people are having consensual sex. We tend to use Jesus' words to make teenagers feel guilty about the very natural and healthy sexual desires that they have. Meanwhile, we are casting a blind eye to the real sexual violence that grown men are usually exerting against women. And that is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus isn't talking about normal, healthy sex drives. He isn't talking about the normal God-given desire to have sexual intimacy with another human being. No, all of that is good. Jesus would not 
disagree with the idea that sex is in and of itself a good thing. God declared all of creation, including human sexuality, to be good when he created men and women. No, instead, what Jesus is condemning here is not sex or sexual desire. What Jesus is condemning is sexual violence, sexual abuse, and sexual power over another. And we can see that a bit more clearly when we read on to the next section of the passage, starting in verse 31, Jesus pivots away from adultery and he moves on to the next subject that is related. Verse 31, he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now we have a tendency again in more legalistic religious settings to think that what Jesus is doing here is saying that it's wrong to get divorced, no matter what, regardless of the circumstances. But I think that when we read these passages together, it becomes clear that Jesus, in speaking against the sexual violence committed in relationships of adultery, and then again condemns the divorce that comes about as a result of men's desire to do away with their wives, what we have here is Jesus speaking into the very out-of-control sexual desires that men in power tend to exert in order to fulfill their wishes. That is exactly the problem that Jesus is addressing here, and it's exactly the problem that we have in our society. All too often, what we see is that people with power, usually men in our society, use that power to commit sexual violence against other people, usually women. Because in our society, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's good or not, the truth is that especially in workplaces or especially in government positions or especially in families and schools, usually it is men who hold most of the power. And one of the phenomenons that we know is true is that the more power men have, the more likely they are to see themselves as sexually desirable. Psychological studies have shown this. They have actually studied the attitudes that men in positions of great power have, whether that's in large corporations or in government positions, the more power that men have, the more they tend to think that the women around them find them sexually appealing. Which should come as no surprise to you. It comes as no surprise to me because usually those stories of sexual violence involve a man who has a great deal of power and a woman who has less. And in those situations, when a man has power over a woman, very often what comes about is that the man uses his power to coerce a woman into sexual acts that she does not want to participate in. And really, that is very much what Jesus is talking about here. That same problem, that power imbalance between men and women was even more obvious and pronounced in Jesus's day. When Jesus speaks about divorce here, 
Then he says in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. Jesus is referring to the fact that in the ancient Hebrew law that you were allowed as a man to divorce your wife at will. You were able to simply hand your wife a certificate of divorce and kick her out of the household and be done with her if you no longer wanted to be married. But women didn't have that same power because women in Jesus's day had very little real social power in their lives. And so when men at that time decided that they were tired of fighting with their wife or bickering with their wife or tired of being in a relationship with somebody who maybe no longer was an object of desire for them, they could easily dispense with her and find a new wife. But the problem, of course, is that by doing that, they were creating horrible conditions for women who now had very little ways or means of providing for themselves once they had been put out of a household. More often than not, women in those circumstances in that day would end up actually having to be prostitutes simply to provide for themselves because no other man would marry them now that they had been divorced by somebody else in the community. And so by divorcing these women, these men were actually putting them into situations where they became destitute and impoverished and maybe had no other recourse than to sell their own bodies to make ends meet. And so divorce in Jesus's day just becomes another convenient way for men to pursue their sexual desires and disregard another human being. Jesus connects these two things. He connects the tendency for some of us to use our sexual desires to to, uh, coerce and manipulate and control and do harm to others, and the tendency of men to use divorce as a way to get what they want and to put women in a position of even greater weakness. Now that was Jesus's day, but if we're honest, the same thing happens today. Women have more power in our society than they did in the ancient Near East, but the truth is that most power in our society is also held by men. And most sexual violence in our society is committed by men against women. And so these words, Jesus's warnings, against lust and against the misuse of the marital relationship are incredibly relevant for us too. The heart of the law is that we would not use sex to harm others, but rather that we would engage in sex in a way that was genuinely good and beneficial for both people in the relationship. Which is why I think Jesus ends up in this section commending that men would honor their marriage relationship. Jesus is saying that the way for us to guard against committing sexual violence against others is for us to be willing to do what is right for other people, even at a cost to ourselves. Jesus says it's better for you to harm your own body than to commit sexual violence against another. Jesus says it's better for you to honor the commitment of your marriage than it is for you to do harm to your wife. 
The theme that we are beginning to see developing here in the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus' teaching on anger and now his teaching against sexual violence is that if we are to be people of the kingdom, then we need to become people who are aware of the ways that we use our internal desires to do harm to other people. And Jesus wants us to see clearly how we can set guardrails for ourselves to make sure that we don't allow those desires inside of us to lead us to a place where we're doing very real violence to other people in our lives, whether that's our neighbors or our spouse or whoever else it is that we come into contact with. My prayer for us as we continue to work through the Sermon on the Mount is that we would learn to see that the ways that we do harm to other people start inside of us, that it starts in our hearts, whether that is with anger or with lust, that that is the beginning of what leads us to do things that are harmful and sinful and destructive, not just for ourselves, but especially for others in our lives. As we continue to work through this Sermon on the Mount, I think you're gonna see that Jesus again and again addresses this issue, that we need to learn to pay attention to the desires of our hearts and how that is a warning sign for how we might be learning to justify the destructive sins that we commit. It's my prayer today that we would begin to open our hearts and minds to this teaching so that we could learn to be people who exhibit the character that Jesus himself displays. Would you just pray with me and ask the Lord to make that true for us today as a church? God, we thank you again for this opportunity to read these words that Jesus spoke, these words that Matthew recorded in chapters 5 and 6 and 7. We ask that you would use these words to challenge us. In what ways, God, do we sometimes give in to the destructive impulses and desires of our heart? In what way do we use things like anger and sexual desire to lead us down a path that is self-righteous and self-justified, even if it causes harm to others? Teach us to become people, Lord, who care deeply about others, so much so that we're willing to set clear boundaries so that we do not do harm when we are following out the desires of our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone, thank you for joining us today. We have a few couple quick announcements before you head off. So the first is, is if you're new, we would love to connect with you. You can head on over to oceansidesanctuary.org contact. Fill out the little connect form there and we will be in touch. We love getting to know all of you new people who are here with us today. Next up, one of our favorite new congregants, not that we have favorites, but one of our new congregants, Kristen Mason, just had a baby a couple days ago, and we are organizing a meal train for her. So she has been an amazing volunteer throughout her pregnancy. She's been involved in the welcome team, at the food pantry, all while being pregnant. So we wanna give back and help her now. So all you have to do is prepare a frozen meal and bring it to the church. So this Sunday, you can bring it to the church 
and we will put it in the freezer for her where she can pick it up. If you don't like cooking, you can also buy a DoorDash gift card or Grubhub or any restaurant. Send that to me at alex at oceansidesanctuary.org and I will forward that to her. Next up, we have call and response coming up on September 23rd, this Thursday, call and response. Call and response is our Bible study, our safe Bible study, where you're free, you're encouraged to ask questions, engage with the text deeper in community. This month, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, which is also the series that we're doing at church. Next, this is very exciting. We are developing a new open and affirming team here at OSC. So one of our priorities that we discerned together as a church was that we want to be a more empowering space for members of the LGBTQ plus community. So we're putting together a team. We're looking for four to six volunteers who feel passionate about this topic, who want to make this space more safe, more empowering, more inclusive. So if that's you, just reach out to us. You can reach out to Jason. You can reach out to the contact form on our website. We want to know if you want to be involved with that. And lastly, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We rely on the gifts and the donations of people just like you. So if you're able to give either your time or your finances, we greatly appreciate that. That helps us thrive. That helps us continue our mission here in Oceanside and beyond. Have a beautiful week, everyone. It's so great to see a lot of you in person now, and it's so great to still be interacting with you here online. We'll see you next week right here on Facebook and YouTube or in person. Thanks a lot. Peace.